So welcome back to the Story of Software podcast. Today we're joined by Stefan Avramchev, who's an agile and leadership coach. And we're going to talk about folks moving from engineering roles to managerial roles, from individual contributor to leader. We're going to talk a little bit about the challenges and the opportunities uh, within those changes. And Stefan, first of all, thank you for joining us today. Hello, and thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be on the show. So, Stefan, to begin with, could you tell us about what led you to a career in technology and in technology leadership? Yeah, well, it goes back to my school days where I discovered that uh, I'm in love with computers. So that love seemingly persisted for some time because uh, I got to the point when I attained my computer science degree. So I became an engineer and I started working as a software engineer. To discover that actually uh, software is built, great software is built by great teams. I was actually uh, amazed to see that uh, the failures were almost never uh, down to technical capabilities of the la- or the lack of, but they were always with teams, with people. So I realized early on that there is a thing there, there is a potential, and it started to draw me more and more uh, because. This was, I was an application software developer, so I loved solving problems. I was very interested uh, to see software I was contributing to being used and solving the problems. So eventually I realized that I'm much more interested in in that part of uh, what kind of problems the software is going to be solving and the building of the software itself as a problem as well. And I come to the point where I got involved with people in business, so I become a business partner, and I started messing with management and you know working with people primarily to the point where I was failing notoriously. <laughs> so I had my painful transition to management. I put myself to an MBA program so that I can gain some business knowledge and some leadership knowledge and skills. And you know, I'm I'm through. I, I survived. 100% switched over to the management. And nowadays, you know, I'm a coach. And how that happens is interesting because um, uh, when we talk about leadership and management, people often say, you know, leaders are, are people who basically shut up and listen, listen deep, also ask powerful questions. So I recognize that coaching is um, maybe the most powerful stance of the leader. So nowadays, I'm coach and i coach leaders who just started their management career as well as agile teams who are looking to basically improve and start not just practicing but also living the the agile way so stefan do you have any non-negotiables around what makes a good leader well a, a leader is someone who influences people to work better to achieve goals, to achieve things that they have not achieved. So basically, it's about people. It's about setting ambitious goals and influencing these people. So how do you do? How do you do that? Well, you got to connect to these people. You have to make connection, and you got to influence them. So the, the influencing part is the most interesting. I think the most demanding part. You know, I cannot imagine how someone can influence people if they are not authentic. So 
One thing for me, which is non-negotiable, is that leaders need to embrace authenticity. They need to understand that they are human. They need to understand that their knowledge has limitations and um, need to embrace a stance and posture to learn and to create safe space, psychological safety, by giving example. The first thing is authenticity. And ultimately, a leader needs to love working with people because creating human connections is a precondition for building trust and people following. So these are the three things I just want to mention, but you know there are a lot more things that eventually prove uh, vital for the leaders. But if they don't have these three features of their mindset and love for working with people, they're not going to make it. Yeah, I'd agree with you completely on that. Um, as you were talking about the authenticity, one thing that was springing to mind for me was the extent to which you should reveal vulnerability as a leader. Because when you talk about creating psychological safe space for people, a powerful way to do that is to acknowledge your own humanity and your own shortcomings and the limitations of your own capabilities. And I've seen when leaders do that part really well, it's incredibly powerful because it's like a, a key unlocking a door. You see that uh, suddenly everyone just kind of goes, okay, this is an environment where we can actually be real about things and we can talk about our fears. We can talk very honestly with each other. We can talk about what our ambitions are, what we expect. So I do agree with you wholeheartedly on the points that you're making. I think the authenticity part is unbelievably powerful. I actually think that honesty is the most powerful i i don't want to use the term tool because it makes sound kind of cynical but i think honesty as an approach and as a mindset unlocks so many opportunities for us in life business for example companies will want to work with you if you're really honest because you're really easy to work with <laughs> when you tell the truth it just it makes life so much easier like i i would have to say that in our consulting business so many of our customers work with us just on the basis that we'll tell them the truth, even when the truth isn't particularly pretty, you know, because there's going to be bad days and times when, you know, things aren't going to plan. But at least if people feel that you're going to tell them when things aren't going to plan rather than hide things, it just makes it so much easier to work with you. So that's a, that's a very interesting uh, set of, I suppose, characteristics you talk about when authenticity, growth mindset, the, the love of working with people. And uh, I'd love to ask you about the transition part, right? Because what we see very often is your highest performing engineer gets promoted to become a tech lead or a software development manager. And that transition isn't always easy because one thing is being the best engineer on your team and another is being someone who can help others fulfill their potential. When we think about what the kind of challenges are around those transitions, what are the things that you've seen? Well, the challenges are where leaders fail to start right. So, uh, again, authenticity or when they when they have um, ego, which is overriding and which is uh, something they haven't tamed and they allow their ego to, to speak and to uh, basically take over. This is something connected to, uh, to the growth mindset. They have to understand that they need to grow. They need to develop. They need to tame their ego and they, they need to start um, appearing as leader. So showing vulnerability, etc. All the things that we just mentioned. So one thing is, is uh, 
there. Um, the, the problem with uh, authenticity, the the fear and the lack of safety that they they feel uh, in the face of in in the face of shortcomings, in the face of challenges that they haven't tackled, in the face of uh, questions that they don't have the answer to. So this is because, as we just said, it's very interesting. And then to me, as a coach, it's much more interesting how the leader behaves, uh, who they are when they don't know the answer of the question, when they reach the the, the limit, the outskirts of their basically content. This is a lot more interesting uh, rather than what they do and how they perform when they are in the middle of their comfort zone. All right. So this is a major challenge for, for people who have built a long and successful career in the technical arena. For example, we work with software engineers and uh, most people who are promoted to team leads, to first line managers in software are the best software, some of the best software engineers. So they have invested heavily uh, and they are basically the, the go-to people in this team uh, for technical matters. And now they have to abandon that. They have to go to the uh, square one of management. So that's not easy. And they need support and they need encouragement for that. I'm going to interrupt you because I, I want to ask you a couple of questions before we move on beyond that particular point. Um, for dealing with ego. Do you have any advice or strategies that you give to leaders, whether they're new to management and leadership or, or they've been doing it for many years? Effective management of one's own ego. Are there any tips or advice that you can give people asking for a friend? Well, for the part where it can be helped with what I just explained, working on your, on your value system, moving to achieving through others, meaning you need to influence these people and that's the most important right now. So when they can identify the new role as more important than the old pals of their colleague, then yes, I do help. So for some people, there may be need for some therapy or uh, some other specialist to, to help because it very much depends what has happened in the past. If, uh, you know, as I said, they're going out uh, together. So if these people have carried you drunk from the pub, uh, there may be extra problem or, or extra um, hurdle that you have to overcome in order to see yourself as the guy who is going to lead them now. Uh, depends how the leader feels that and whether there is something in the past that needs to be worked on. But for most of the people, I think they have healthy relationships uh, and experiences, and it's quite natural. Uh, they very quickly understand that uh, they will be the best friend and the best pal of uh, their colleague if they become their true leader. And if they give an example, they probably hold back from going out every time to talk with them uh, because the leaders understand that influencing is 24-7 job. You cannot switch it off. You cannot pause it. You cannot just be whoever you think you want to be on the social media and expect great influencing results with uh, your peers and uh, see yourself as your new self and uh, basically live and behave accordingly. And exactly on that point, Stefan, one area I have seen a lot of new managers struggle with is they move from a member of the team and peer and friend to suddenly leader 
And that recalibration of relationship can be very important because suddenly maybe they don't get invited to beers on a Friday after work anymore because they're now the boss. And maybe when people go for a beer after work, they want to go with the teammates, but maybe they don't want to go with their manager. And for some people, there's an intense psychological pain comes along with the re-establishment of relationships. And is that something that you have helped new leaders through? Well, interesting. I've been asked this question uh, quite often uh, recently. Uh, well, for me, there are, there, there are three major contributors to that situation. Uh, first of all, it's um, context. It very much depends on what kind of organization the leaders are working in. So if the organization is bureaucratic, uh, if there's some sort of hostility, between um, people pissy when the environment is uh, you know people unfriendly or management and the assessment is input driven then you know there is already very difficult situation for the young leaders that is not helping them to grow in the in the proper way they are going to uh, try to master these things and they're going to try to replicate these things as well so that's that's not good but it depends uh first of all on the context after that it depends uh on their manager uh, so their manager also you know what i'm seeing in uh tech companies is that uh, many managers are basically functioning for the first time at the level they're, they're functioning so everybody's kind of promoted to the level of their competence and they are trying to figure out uh, for themselves um, what to do, trying to learn the ropes of, of the new role. So they are not providing the proper support to their subordinates uh, as well. This is uh, because they, they don't know how, they haven't seen it uh, done by anybody, they haven't received that support, uh, or pure ignorance uh, as well. So that's, that's one thing. And the third thing, uh, that's the second, uh, actually, contributor to that lack of support and the third lack of support is coming from you know from uh, the fact that hr has a misconception i think for the for the proper way they they need support their uh, young leaders uh, they provide courses law material a lot of content so uh, the young leaders most of the time have heard uh, several times uh, about their the new responsibilities and the, the, the new transition and the new challenge, so they know their stuff. Problem is that yet the, they don't they don't do it. They know it, but they don't do it. And that's where coaching comes to help, because coaching will make you do the things you know. It's not a, a teaching, but actually is start using the muscles you have, start growing some some new muscles. Um, by, by practicing and that's where I think uh, the support lacks very practical uh, in the very practical uh, part of the support so coaching is neither given nor received from new managers and Stefan a lot of new managers complain about feeling unsupported so you know they go from being a highly competent individual contributor it could be the best software engineer, the best product manager, the best salesperson, and then suddenly they're promoted up to a management role. 
And very often, most organizations don't provide a, a very structured approach to support that transition. Well, why do you think that is? Is it a lack of resources within organizations? Uh, and, you know, what do you think could be done better in that regard? Well, that's, uh, that's a great uh, subject. And, you know, we, we touched upon that just a moment ago. So we have the question whether the leaders fail. Is that okay? Uh, what do they do? Well, I mean, do we, do we mean that uh, the, the managers and the leaders should have all the answers? Do we think that they know everything? So, obviously not. Well, if, if that's so, then these people, as I said, it's very interesting how they handle failure. Because this is the personal example they give. This is the uh, safety of the, the psychological safety that they built in their teams uh, by uh, personally tempting things that are new that are never achieved by setting uh, you know brave goals you know within uh, reasonable force uh, limits and challenging and using the full capacity in the in the full potential of the team to solve the problem together because they are there to build and achieve results through team. That's what they're for. Not to show off and not to be the most knowledgeable. I want to see them hiring people who can surpass them, people who can outgrow them, who will become even better than what they were. That's the the moment when the leader is really the best leader for the team. When they don't put themselves first, their ego or their glory, or their glory but actually they, they put the, the future of this team and to make the team future-proof but by, by hiring the best people possible, attracting them, keeping them. And what's going to attract them and keep them is exactly that psychological safety, that place where people can buy things. This is where the best engineers go. Places where they can try things, they can fail, they can be at home, they can have stupid ideas and, and try to realize them. You know, uh, uh, think about the what the rework project that Google has found out a few years back about their winning teams is that the number one um, feature or number one characteristic of these teams uh, that makes... Uh, that uh, that is common between their winning teams is the high psychological safety. So that's the thing. And none of none of the other four are uh, having the best engineers. Absolutely not. So th there are things that contribute to attracting, to growing, and to uh, keeping and retaining the best engineers. Okay. Well, as you're talking, right, I, I've written down a couple of words, which is. Um... It sounds like, in your opinion, and I, I do tend to agree with you, that optimism and bravery are necessary characteristics of a leader's mindset. You need to be optimistic about human nature, and you need to be optimistic that if you are brave and you trust in the universe, so to speak, that if you put your team ahead of your own interests, that you won't suffer because of it. And that's not always possible for, for people to um, to adopt that mindset. It does require 
an almost religious type faith uh, that everything is going to be fine because there will be temptations to maybe continue to be the star technical performer in your team. So you go from being star individual contributor to leader plus, you know, star individual contributor. That will be, that will be quite tempting for people. Um, it's difficult for people to allow others to outshine them. That can be a very psychologically challenging concept for people to, to wrestle with. And although I, I do tend to agree with the things that you've said, because I guess by nature, I am an optimist and I do believe that those moments in life where I have been brave, I haven't regretted it. At the same time, the, the devil's advocate argument could be if what you have said is true, then why is it the case that companies who do bad things succeed and teams that do bad things succeed? Why isn't it the case that all the benevolent, highly ethical companies are the top performers all the time? That's an interesting question. I think uh, I'm not sure whether I have a, have an answer for that one, uh, indeed. But uh, what I'm sure is that uh, that the, the more of this brave leadership uh, type we have, the more the more unicorns we'll see, the more successful companies will will see. So that's that's what I'm uh, believing through 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 my experience. Yeah, and as I say, I, I put the devil's advocate question to you. It's a difficult one to answer. I'm conscious of that. I guess if I if I had to try and answer that myself, I think I would say that the only really gratifying form of success is the type of success characterized by bravery and integrity. So if you make uh, millions of dollars through a crypto scam or by selling heroin or human trafficking, I don't think people enjoy that money uh, or that, you know, that material success that goes from those bad things. I think sustainable success uh, requires, if it's going to be something unsustainable, I mean, across generations, across time, across your organization, uh, something that can really stand the test of various challenges. I think that form of success needs to be built on real foundations of bravery and optimism. I think that quick fortunes can be made and lost doing things in a less ethical way and a, in a manner of low integrity. But um, And I also think that thing, I, what I've seen over the course of my career uh, is a general tendency towards improvement around all of the things that we're talking about today. So back in the 1990s, when I had my first job, I think the culture was more kind of macho and less open-minded. And I think the idea of, even the idea of using coaches in business, I think is something that's evolved and grown with time as people become more aware that it's not brave to pretend you have all the answers. It's brave to stand up in front of a room full of people and say, I don't know the answer to that question, but let's figure it out together and let's figure out things in the right way. And really about setting the, the vision and the values around how to achieve that outcome. I completely agree with you. So yeah, the catch in the devil's uh, question was uh, the 
the definition for success because everybody's using different uh, definition for that. That's where I, I completely agree, uh, including, I mean, as, as we uh, talked previously, uh, people also define success in themselves. I think uh, another area that we wanted to talk about today was servant leadership. So um, this is something that's been mentioned quite a lot across our own organization. It's artists, our own CTO and COO uh, use this terminology quite frequently. Perhaps for those that aren't familiar with the concept, could you briefly explain what servant leadership is and why it's powerful in an organization? Yeah. Well, so servant leadership puts you in a in a partnership for growth. Uh, that's in development. That's the that's the main thing for me. Uh, so, why servant leadership? Uh, well, uh, working in the, with the software industry, uh, especially, um, we are working in a in a complex domain of problems, and solve complex problems. Uh, you you need full involvement of the people that uh, you want to uh, to achieve the solution there. So you, you, you need to uh, basically induce uh, thinking, ownership, uh, you know, purpose, autonomy, and mastery is something that we are basically looking to, to instill and to provide to, to teams in order to achieve this um, uh, you know, self-organizing teams who are going to solve the problem. Because... In this, uh, it's, it's a fast-paced journey. It's um, a place where, that's why I call it R&D, research and development. There is uh, research before we go and develop, uh, and then we need to research some more and continue developing some more. So it's a cycle of figuring out a little bit and then go build it, and uh, you figure out some more and then go build. So these type of problems are complex to solve. and for that type of um, solutions in, in that uh, area space, you, you need uh, people who are who are thinkers and own the solutions, who are willing to try out things, uh, and also leaders who are uh, leading their teams uh, in a in a safe way, a sustainable way, so teams can achieve their you know their results uh, sustainably again and again and they can uh, achieve their results through ideation to co-creation and you know, basically innovation and that's why I believe a leadership is the way it's a partnership it's it's a coaching stance you know through through which you lead your people and support them and basically Good luck with any other type of leadership when you are working in a complex domain. So that's why I believe urban leadership uh, is very, very beneficial. I, uh, I couldn't agree more. I think the, the real strength of it lies in keeping the leaders of the organization humble. I think the, the capacity for it to infuse a sense of humility into people is uh, extremely powerful. You have to pitch in. You have to be willing. You can't ask anyone to do anything that you wouldn't be willing to do yourself. That's not to say that you should always be down in the detail and you should be willing to deploy your skills in the most impactful way for your organization 
And if you're in a leadership role, that can be about doing other things. But there are moments when you need to roll up your sleeves and get involved in those kinds of ways. And uh, I believe it's a it's a very important facet of, of leadership and its capacity to keep people humble, I think, is where the real strength lies. Completely agreed. Yeah. So, Stefan, I, I want to ask you just a couple more questions before we wrap up today. First of all, do you see leaders of the future differing somehow from the leaders of today or those of the past? Yeah, I hope to see a lot more coaches because um, this is what I find missing a big time because um, it draws uh, with it a lot of the good stuff when it's there, especially the, the, the gold mindset, especially the taming of the ego and respecting the individual, giving space, supporting the growth, uh, basically not trying to rob your team or your subordinates of the of the victory. Don't try to give them the solution, but uh, basically provoke them to find the solution. So maybe they'll find an even better solution than, than the one you thought. Um, that's why this, this all is a coaching practice. And that's why I hope the, the leaders of the future, uh, of the future, a lot more coaches and, uh, much less bosses. Because I know and I see how much coaching helped me and I, uh, see how much coaching helps, uh, the leaders. I'd agree completely on that, Stefan. I think that, uh, the really powerful aspect of a coaching approach to leadership and management is its capacity to genuinely motivate people. I think the uh, old school boss approach creates the type of performance where when the boss isn't looking, <laughs> performance tends to decline and de decrease because if it's based on fear, you haven't really motivated someone. Uh, thus, I do think you need to find how to inspire people. Uh, for people to understand that the more um, the more they put into their work, the more they're going to get out of it as an individual. And that's about ensuring that you get the right reward systems in place for people. And people understand that if they do go the extra mile, that that won't just be taken advantage of. And in fact, that the organization will find the right way to reward people for that overperformance. Stefan, the last question I have for you is, could you recommend any books, podcasts, or other media? We're, we're very keen about learning on this podcast. Yeah, anything you could recommend would be appreciated. Well, last week I was in a conversation uh, where, where it was shared with me that um, there are more than 15,000 books out there. So uh, basically... It's very difficult to, I mean, our body of knowledge uh, is uh, ever expanding. It's never been as as large. Uh, so that's also proof for leadership. Uh, but I have one book in particular where, you know, I started with and I go back every time and I go back almost on a daily basis to that book uh, enormously. And that's uh, this book, Care uh, to Dare, by uh, George uh, Kohlreiser. It's an incredible book. It explains uh, certain leadership in a, in a great way. It also has very few profound concepts about the, the bonding cycle. And basically, it's, it's an eye-opener on things like uh, grief, how, how grief actually is, uh, is essential, is a very important moment. 
people relationship and how uh, we need to give space and actually to uh, understand that grief is something very positive because it reinforces your, your, your identity as well because by grieving uh, you know something you're basically reconfirming to you and to the world what you cherish what you miss you know what you value and that's uh, very motivating but also it actually prepares for the new cycle of bonding that's why we need to allow this to happen when when a colleague leaves, when a project's finished, you know, uh, these kind of uh, situations trigger grief, and a leader has to really understand uh, how to work with uh, these uh, very human emotions and, and experiences. Basically, allow space and build upon. So it's it's incredible book. Well, look, thank you for that, Stefan. That's actually really interesting because I've been. Uh, Reading recently that there appears to have been some issues caused by the overprescription of pharmaceuticals in the aftermath of uh, grief. So in the aftermath of, let's say, you lose a spouse or a partner to illness, in some instances, doctors have been tending to prescribe medication because people are grieving. And the, the thought process now is you need to let that natural process occur that you can't chemically remove grief from the human psyche and that you kind of store up problems in a different way for the future and that we do need to we need to confront the situations that we're in. We need to allow ourselves to experience these very natural human emotions in, in times of difficulty. And then we need to be able to find a way to progress and to move on uh, as better people in the, in the aftermath of these events. So it's really interesting that you touched on that topic. But I'd have to say the whole conversation today has been fantastic, Stefan. I've, I've really enjoyed uh, meeting you and learning about your approach to leadership and coaching. And um, so thank you for joining us today on the podcast. It was a delight talking to you. Indeed, this conversation was uh, uh, very enjoyable for me. And once again, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure being on your show. The Story of Software podcast is a Zartis production brought to you by Adnan Tuchar, Larry Anna Fantoni and Evan Sheehan.